As I mentioned at the beginning of service, our theme today focuses on the idea of Jesus' authority. Uh, that is a key part of recognizing who he is and what he's done that helps us to ground our lives and, and guide our interactions uh, with others. Uh, the world around us has some real issues with authority. Uh, the term that's often used uh, back and forth uh, is fake news, right? Uh, one side says, well, you're fake news. The other side says, well, you're fake news. Uh, the, uh, I happened to be watching part of a debate uh, several weeks ago between two governors who uh, were both insisting that they were ta- had taken a strong stance against foreign ownership of American land uh, in their state. And the other state was wide open. And the other person was like, no, your state is wide open. My state was closed. No, your state is open. That Who do you listen to? Who do you trust? Who's right? Thank you. You got it, Darren. Sermon over. No. Uh, the <laughs> he gave away the ending. Uh, but that is something that is a struggle. The political illustration is just one of many that could be made. Uh, same thing goes on in our homes, uh, where husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, parents and children have different views, oftentimes coming into a serious conflict. Who's right? Well, Jesus. Now, that's where our text really points in stressing uh, in our gospel lesson Jesus' authority at the very beginning of Mark and throughout Mark and really throughout the gospels. uh, Jesus' authority is a a theme that's uh, not widely recognized but is very significant in the revelation of who he is and and what that means. Uh, We uh, see at the very beginning of our gospel lesson, how Jesus assumes authority, and the people are amazed by it. Uh, Jesus assumes authority just by teaching his own uh, teachings. Uh, This is unfamiliar territory for his listeners in the synagogue because the Pharisees and teachers of the law were accustomed to uh, quote the authority of others. Uh, that their knowledge was the accumulation of the knowledge of those who had gone on before. And so they would demonstrate their knowledge and their authority by claiming, well, this is what Rabbi Hillel said, and this is what Rabbi Shimei said, and this is the traditions that have been passed on. You can see their perspective when Jesus cleansed the temple, and their question is, by what authority do you do this? Who are you going to quote? Who are you going to... Uh, rely on or lean on it as your authority. Jesus didn't do that kind of discourse. Well, the uh, Mark doesn't record what exactly Jesus was teaching, but I think we can safely assume that it was very much in line with what Matthew uh, tells us of his teaching at the beginning of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus isn't just speaking from his own authority rather than the authority of uh, the great theologians of the past, 
he's outright contradicting them. Uh, over and again throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, anyone who is angry at his brother commits murder in his heart. You have heard it said, but I tell you. That's a claim of authority, isn't it? Uh, and the people are, are justly amazed um, by it. Uh, they wonder, what kind of teaching is this? What kind of teacher is this who just shows up and says, let me tell you how it is, folks. But Jesus doesn't just come with a, a powerful presentation. We know all too well that people can speak authoritatively even if they actually don't know what they're talking about, even if they have no claim, uh, really, and no basis uh, for what they're saying. Of course, that's not Jesus. In fact, Jesus uh, isn't uh, not, is uh, actually authoritative, uh, but he's also more than just an authoritative teacher. He's not just going around saying, I know what I'm talking about. I know what's true. I know what's false. And I'm going to highlight that. And I'm going to illustrate that. That would be amazing. But Jesus takes it several steps even beyond that. As Mark continues uh, to point out, as Jesus demonstrates authority, that is not just knowledge, but power to overcome evil. When Jesus is confronted with a demon-possessed man. Jesus' authority isn't just, yep, that guy is definitely demon-possessed. Jesus' authority says, leave him. And the demon has to obey. Jesus' authority brings freedom to those enslaved by the devil. Jesus' authority overcomes the powers of evil uh, to give freedom uh, to those burdened by what is false and wrong and wicked. And Jesus demonstrates that authority uh, that proves he is a true teacher, but also way more than just a true teacher. Uh, he has the authority to claim people as his own, uh, to liberate them uh, from uh, sin, death, and the devil, and make them righteous, make them holy, clean and heal them. And that is what's super special about his authority as well. And because as Jesus points out to his disciples later on, Earthly authority uh, tends to go a, a lot differently. Those in, in uh, authority on earth lord it over others and view that as authority of telling others what to do. The world thinks of authority as the uh, authority to command others to basically enslave them. I mean, not enslave as a, all the most negative contexts, uh, but the world thinks of authority as a means to influence, control, lord it over others. Where Jesus looks at authority 
as a means to give freedom and healing to others. And he demonstrates that in the most powerful way by the ultimate use of his authority in laying down his life. And Jesus states it concretely and specifically uh, to the Pharisees in John chapter 10. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life and the authority to take it up again. And Jesus' death and resurrection demonstrates his authority in an even greater way than uh, we see just at the beginning here in Mark. A demonstration of how great his authority is and what the purpose and intent of his authority is. Uh, And it shouldn't be missed that we we think of the authority to take up his life as kind of the key part of that. And it certainly is a powerful thing to have authority to rise from the dead. I think that much is obvious, and we probably don't have to go into it uh, much more than that. Because if you've got the authority to rise from the dead, you've got some pretty impressive authority. But we also ought to recognize the authority to lay down his life is a powerful expression of his authority as well. Because again, the authority to command others Uh, while we tend to be impressed by it, it's not actually that difficult. If you've got great power, you can influence others. Uh, All it takes is, you know, a few tanks and a few guns, and you can exercise authority over people. They'll tend to do what you say. It's not that difficult. Uh, But no matter how many tanks or guns you have, do you have the authority to make yourself do what you want? That takes real authority. Uh, The greatest, most powerful people in the world often can't control themselves. And the person who can control themselves uh, in a significant way has much greater authority than someone who can uh, threaten and coerce the hundreds of thousands of others. And Jesus has the authority Uh, to lay aside his life, to put the needs of others ahead of his own. He has the true authority, the true command uh, to do God's will even when it's tough. And in doing so, also happens to demonstrate what God's will is for us. That God's authority uh, is the kind of authority Uh, that brings freedom and healing. God's authority is used in love. And Jesus' death and resurrection validates that kind of authority as the greatest authority. Uh, When Jesus rises from the dead, it demonstrates once and for all that he's not just spouting theories here. It's been put into practical effect. It's been put to the test, and it has triumphed. Jesus' authority is greater than sin, death, and the devil, and all the powers of hell. The authority of his love and forgiveness is true authority, the greatest authority. 
And that authority is extended then to us. As Jesus died for us and uses his authority to gain for us freedom and forgiveness of our sins, he also passes along that authority. He delegates to his church the authority to forgive sins. As he says to his disciples after his resurrection, uh, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. The, you heard that authority, a delegated authority expressed earlier this morning in the absolution. In the stead and by the, uh, that I as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That authority of Christ given to the church we call the office of the keys. That authority to forgive sins that Jesus again claimed uh, for his church at the end of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to keep everything I have commanded you. Jesus gives his authority to the church to forgive sins and claim disciples uh, to uh, be joined together with them in the fellowship of the church. There is a a lot of fake news out there in the world. Uh, But there is some real news. And it's good news. Uh, The word gospel literally means good news. It's the true news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he has the authority to define who you are. And he calls you forgiven. A child of God. He calls you to share that love and forgiveness. Now, the devil is always spreading his fake news, telling you that you're defined by what you've done, uh, to lead you to guilt and shame, and burden you with the, uh, the consciousness of your sin so that you are afraid to, to follow God. That's fake news. The devil uh, wants to tell you that you're defined by your desires, that what you like or what you love is who you are, and that uh, you should just embrace that and follow that. That's fake news. Jesus is the one who defines us, uh, and his authority defines us according to his love and forgiveness as children of God and members of his mission to share that love and forgiveness with those around us. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in our epistle lesson as they struggle with this reality. As even in the church, we often can sometimes lose sight of what really defines us, what really binds us together. That we are defined by Christ and by his authority, not our own. 
It's a, another way the devil tries to tempt us is to get us to speak from our own authority to say, this is how it is. I know how it is. I know I'm right. Well, the Corinthians knew they were right. But Paul says even if they were right, they were wrong. Uh, if they were unloving. I remember when I, my dad was teaching me how to drive. And he told me, pay attention to the traffic rules uh, and remember to obey them. But also remember, you can have the right of way and be dead right. Uh, because not everyone else is necessarily following the rules. So don't just pay attention to the rules, but pay attention to the people around you as well. If you're driving defensively, uh, you know, then that's just as important as driving right. Well, the same could be said of, of life. That you can follow all the rules, but if you're not living lovingly, you can be wrong even if you're right. That if you're right in an unloving way, uh, regardless of those around you, Paul tells the Corinthians, you're in the wrong. Paul says, I'll never eat meat again if it causes my brother to stumble. That's not a question of whether it, you know, I could, sure. I could be in the right. And yet if it creates a stumbling block that leads my brother into sin, I don't want to be right that way. It's more important. Now, you can also be, the flip side of that is that loving what is wrong isn't loving. Uh, that you don't want to sacrifice either being loving or walking in the truth. But I think our, our issue most of the time is uh, more easily to fall into that sense of, I'm right, you're wrong, why can't you see things my way? And we get division. Because we think we know. When God calls us to know his love, to know his forgiveness, to know Christ as the definition of our lives, and to show his love and forgiveness uh, to everyone in our lives. It's really not what you know. It's who you know. Or it's not even really who you know, Paul says, but who knows you? Remember our epistle lesson. Uh, Paul writes, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, uh, makes you arrogant, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. He tells the Corinthians, don't boast in what you know. If you're boasting about what you know, then you don't know as much as you ought to know. Uh, that knowledge puffs up and only leads to pride. But love builds up. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Being known by God. Uh, the British actually have a, a kind of quaint idiom uh, to that effect. Uh, uh, the long form is Bob's your uncle and Fanny's your aunt. 
Uh, it's often shortened because it's pretty lengthy. Just saying, Bob's your uncle. It's a way of saying, it's in the bag, easy as pie, piece of cake. Uh, you might say, uh, if you're given directions to Belton, you just get on 58 head west and Bob's your uncle. Uh, it's, you're there. Uh, the uh, history of how that phrase came about isn't completely known, but the a common uh, story behind it uh, is in 1887, uh, the British Prime Minister at that time, Robert Gascoigne Cecil III Marquess of Salisbury, a.k.a. Bob, uh, appointed his nephew, uh, Arthur Balfour, to the political, important political position of Chief Secretary for Ireland. And it was generally assumed that the, it wasn't on account of his qualifications, but just because Bob was his uncle. And uh, that idea, that nepotistic idea that, well, if Bob's your uncle, you got it made, you're set no matter what, uh, became the, the saying. Now, it may be uh, perceived a little sacrilegious to uh, say, uh, Jesus is your savior in the same sort of casual sense of uh, turn 58, head west, and Jesus is your savior. Uh, but the truth is, having Jesus as our savior means we're set. We got it in the bag. Uh, that uh, that matters most of all so that once uh, with that in focus, everything else is kind of taken care of, isn't it? With Jesus as our Savior, we're good. Uh, His authority is sufficient and enough uh, to define us and help us to understand the world around us in a way that the world may not understand. Uh, The world may say as see as weak, or the world may see as uh, unprofitable. What Jesus shows is more powerful than anything. His love and forgiveness is sufficient for us and able for us to make sense of the world around us as we keep that in focus and make that the basis and foundation for our self-identity and our interaction with all those around us. Living in His authority, not our own. Living in His authority, not that of the world's or anybody else's, is the way to true peace. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.